All right, let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, and we'll uh, go down to the, oh, we'll do the uh, hymn of the month, From God the Father, Virgin Born. All right, and uh, the... uh, the pitch pipe is an octave too high to start with the low low B flat, so um, Rebecca's gonna start us off. Yeah, you are, because I, I always I always pick the wrong note under pre- under pressure. If I'm singing in the shower, it's perfect, I promise. But you know, I don't sing in the shower. All right. I normally contemplate life in the shower. All right. Yeah. Thanks. I'm always learning from the podcast, so, all right. God the Father, virgin born, to us the only Son came down, by death the Father to consecrate. The faithful to regenerate Beginning from his home on high In human flesh he came to die Creation by his death restored and shed new joys of life abroad. Glide on, O glorious hope, and bring the gift of healing on your wing to every door and clouded sense the clearness of your light dispense all right that's enough for now um let's go ahead and we'll do the next three stanzas next week Someone remind me to make sure we do the next three stanzas next week. Let's move on to the uh, catechism memory work. All right. This is from Table of Duties to Husbands and Wives. And uh, we'll go straight into the Bible memory work. Two different verses here. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Colossians 3.19. And wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5.22. All right. And let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, and we'll go down to Luther's morning prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right. Uh, Kids can go off to Sunday school. And here. Matthias, can you put this back in the tray? Put that back in the bulletin tray. Uh, we'll just go straight into Ezekiel. I um, don't want to waste any time here. All right, so we're going to start in, uh, let's see here. I had Ezekiel. Yeah, we stopped chapter 18. We're going to skip ahead to chapter 26. This is going to be the next key passage we're going to look at. Um, we're just doing a couple key passages here from the various sections in Isaiah. So um, 25 through 32, if you remember. is the section of uh, judgment on nations. And uh, we're going to highlight 26, and we'll look at verses, uh, just the beginning of 1 of 26, 1 through 14, um, this prophecy against uh, uh, Tyre here. And um, one of the things you you might remember, let's see if I have a, let's see if maybe I have a good cross reference. Um, yeah, I have to find it. But uh, one of the things you might remember when you hear the word tire is that when uh, Jesus prophesies, oh, actually, I think I just remembered where it is. When Jesus uh, prophesies a couple times uh, in in different places, uh, and he's warning specifically the the Jews, the Judeans, of the 
coming destruction if they don't repent and turn to Christ, that it will be worse uh, for them, uh, specifically in 70 AD at the destruction of the temple, than it will be for Tyre and Sidon. Right, so Tyre and Sidon uh, is parallel to Sodom and Gomorrah mm-hmm. in their wickedness. Right, and this is one of the themes that we've seen in the prophets over and over again is that even though God uses the foreign nations to punish Israel and Judah and even though Judah is the people that are called to follow the Lord and are expected to follow the Lord in a certain way, and also that the prophets are particularly called to the people of Judah, nonetheless, the prophets over and over again are also given prophecies against the nations, right? That it's not an excuse for wickedness, to be a foreign nation, right? And I, I think we deal with this uh, today as well is in a, in a couple different ways. Um, so I'm going to give two practical applications of the judgment on the nations. One is that, man, I wish I could find that verse. Um, anyway, you remember when Jesus says that, right? Like it'll be worse for Tyre and Sidon. Um, than it will be for for you on the day of judgment, or it'll be worse for you on the day of judgment than it would be for Tyre and Sidon. Um, so, two two practical applications uh, in general of judgment on the nations. Um, one is that when we look at modern churches, right, it's parallel to the fact that like so as a pastor, I have. I'm called to serve certain people in a particular way, right? So I have members of the of the church, right, that I'm called to serve. And that means that, you know, I preach to the, I'm called to preach specifically to those people. I am called to go to their deathbeds. I'm called to do their baptisms, to give them, the, make sure that they're receiving the Lord's Supper, right? So on and so forth, right? All the duties of pastors, like the members of Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church, and currently as vacancy pastor, the members of Peace Lutheran Church in Oxford, like those are the particular people I am called to serve, right? And that entails very particular things, like we just said. That doesn't mean, however, that as a pastor in this area, I am not also called to serve all the people here, right? Like all the people in the broader community that I'm supposed to also preach uh, the gospel wherever I can and, and whenever I can and to preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins, right? So like just because I'm walking around in Aldi or Kroger and there's people there that aren't my members, um, as a Christian preacher, I still have a duty to them. Now, it's not the same duty as I have to my members, right? Like, I, I'm not going to go and some random person, you know, some random cashier at Aldi, like, I'm not going to just 
think that I'm going to do their funeral or something, right? Like that. That doesn't really make any sense. But um, I am called to be a witness to the truth to them, right? And that doesn't mean I have to, like, force it down their throats whenever I see them or whatever. But on a broader scale, the things that the, the prophets proclaim against the nations is these broader sins of, of the nations, right? And so, um, for instance, right, if, like, the school districts are – there's, like – I think it's in Collierville. Is this right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. There's, like, a demon club or something. Like, um, the, the Christian pastors in Collierville should preach against that, right? They should, they should proclaim against that. And that's it's like okay the it's not like the school district um, superintendent is their member per se or that uh, and I'm not I'm not even just talking about like this isn't like particular to the LCMS this is just all Christian pastors right are called to preach not only to the people um, that are their members but also to be a broader witness of the truth to the to the broader community and and the prophets do this right they preach particularly to Judah. But then they also preach about the surrounding nations. And even if people aren't, like, going to listen, right, they still do it, right? They still prophesy according to the Lord. So it's important, right, because God's word is powerful. And um, and so doing this uh, Mark study up in – or down in Oxford, and um, today we're going to cover the sower of the seed – and one of the one of the points in the sower of the seed, I think, is that when the sower sows the seed, um, he sows it everywhere. And I think part of the reason he sows it everywhere is it within the analogy, you don't know. Like a place may look rocky, but you don't know if it's actually rocky or not. Like that, because and and you've seen this in nature, right? Like. Like in in the sidewalks, yeah. right? You the can see, yeah, you can see things grow through rocks, mm-hmm. right? Um, or in places where you don't expect things to grow, they'll grow uh, for whatever whatever reason, right? Um, sometimes it's you know there's a drought and you don't expect things to grow and then they grow anyway, right? That's just how nature works. So. Within that analogy of the sower of the seed, where the sower spreads the seed everywhere, he says, certainly, you know, there's times when it falls among rocky soil and it and it gets choked out, or it falls by the wayside and and the birds snatch it up, right? That that happens. But I would also argue it happens that you throw it in those places and sometimes it actually grows anyway, right? So my point is that with this, um, right? When they when they when the when the prophets prophesy against the nations, they don't. I mean, yeah, very likely, people aren't going to listen, right? And Ezekiel's even told that, like, people aren't going to listen to you. Um, but nonetheless, the the sower sows the seed anyway, right? He cast it abroad anyway, because God's word is powerful, and um, it's also like there's no excuse not to, you know, because people always. I've been thinking about this concept a lot recently, and I have a lot to say about it, but we won't go there today. But just the, this notion that people will sometimes say of, well, what about people who don't have the chance to hear the gospel? Is God really going to punish them? Which is a very 
complicated question in some ways. But one of the things that um, I think from a Christian perspective we can say is that, well, we proclaim the truth to everyone, right? And so um, if prophets and, and pastors and evangelists are doing their job in a given area, um, it's not necessarily like someone hasn't had the chance to hear, right? Uh because even people who it seems very unlikely would receive it can still hear. So anyway, um, so that's one application. What was my second application going to be? Hmm. I don't remember. Oh, I remember now. Um, my second application of prophecies against the nations is that we should not fall into this temptation either because God does not excuse the nations for their wickedness just because they're not Judah or not Israel. Um, the other thing I've heard from Christians sometimes, which is a mistake, is that um, when you get especially into like foreign missions, is that people want to like make excuses for wicked practices or unbelief in other countries and other religions and other nations. That people will say things like, oh, well, you know, that's just part of their culture. You know, the, like talking about like, say, like Africans with ancestor worship. Or something. They'll whenever Christian missionaries go there, the one of the problems that they often run into is that um, people will receive the gospel and begin to and be baptized and you know like convert to Christianity. But then they'll start to try and mix in their ancestor worship with Christianity. And we see the same thing happening in the Bible, right? Where people are like, "Oh yeah, Yahweh seems like a great." very powerful, awesome God, and they kind of worship Yahweh, but then they still try and worship Baal. And um, the prophets have to preach against that, right? We can't be like, oh, well, it's just part of their culture, so we need to be culturally sensitive. Like, no, I'm sorry. Like, ancestor worship is evil. And I don't, like, care that... Um, Foreign missions give people fuzzy feelings in their heart. Like, that's that's great. Um, but we have to still preach against evil, right? And and the we can't just make excuses for people and say, oh, it doesn't really matter that they're acting like pagans because, like, because they're Africans, they're excused for it or something like that. Um, Anyway, that's that's another danger you can people can fall into. So um, we just have to be very plain and clear about that. That um, people are not excused just because their culture is different, right? Um, Christianity doesn't care what culture you're from, and you there there are things that are culturally different between Christian churches, which is fine, right? Like you know we have a chili cook-off in February here at this church in churches in Canada, maybe they don't do that. I don't know. Like I, that's just a really random example. That's fine. It has nothing to do with the practice of the gospel, but when it comes to what the Bible lays out as clear doctrine, like you shall have no other gods before me, right? We can't uh, split the difference on that and say, Oh, well it's culturally relative, right? All right. Yeah, Steve. So, in regards to the Collierville 
deal with the satanic club or whatever it is. It's like when you prepare your kids for bullies, you know. Right. You know they're going to exist. You can't stop the bullies from doing it. Right. And in this case, you can't stop the government from letting them put that in there, you know, unless you can vote it out by right. or something. But if they, you know, the... The left always uses our Constitution against us when it suits them, you know. Right. So uh, just, all the pastors can do is prepare the people to say, well, this is, you know, like a bully. And, uh, you know, you're going to run against that. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah, I think there's a two, two-pronged or three-pronged approach that needs to happen with something like that um, from the Christian side. One is the kind of offensive where the pastors and and the people fight against it, whatever means they have, right? So getting involved in the school board, getting involved in the board of aldermen meetings, um, things like that need to happen. Um, we can't just kind of sit back and let let them uh, bulldoze us. The second prong of that is the defensive side which would involve Christian parents um, either sending their kids to private school or homeschooling them. And um, that I, I also I recognize there are situations where maybe that can't happen. Sometimes people have to send their kids to public school for a variety of reasons in their home. And that's fine too. And then the kind of third prong of that is if that's the case, then they need to be very well prepared to deal with those things. And be extra focused on catechizing those children um, in the faith. So yeah, there's thing, kind of the, the a good thing where it's a wake up call. Yeah. For everybody. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah. Even in <laughs> even in the Bible Belt conservative South, mm-hmm. like now we have Satan clubs in the public schools. So yeah, if if people aren't like awake to such things yet, then yeah. All right, um, moving on. Oh, let's actually read the passage. <laughs> okay, so I did all the application first. Now I'll do the uh, passage. Okay, and it came to pass in the 11th year on the first day of the month that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, Aha, she is broken and who was the gateway of the peoples. Now she is turned over to me. I shall be filled. She is laid waste. Um, and notice that Tyre... Uh, what Tyre says there in this prophecy is that they want to consume Israel and Judah, right? And this is an, another good point, just kind of going back to the Satan club or whatever, is that um, when the wicked uh, nations around us, right, or the wicked pagans around us, let's say, um, they don't want just like to have an equal seat at the table, right? They want to consume Judah, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you as the sea causes its waves to come up. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for spreading nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken, says the Lord God, it shall become plunder for the nations and also her daughter villages, which are in the field, shall be slain by the sword. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, with chariots, and with horsemen, 
and an army with many people. So notice there that the Lord doesn't only use Babylon to punish uh, Israel and Judah, but he also uses Babylon to punish the other wicked nations, right? And then he's going to punish Babylon itself later on. So uh, the Lord, I mean, this is um, really one of, to me, the major themes, especially in the Old Testament of Scripture, is what man means for evil, God works for good, right? He's able to take all these pagan nations that are fighting and wicked in all sorts of ways and use them against each other to accomplish his purposes. He will slay the sword, your daughter, villages in the fields. He will heap up a siege mound against you, build a wall against you, and raise a defense against you. He will direct his battering rams against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers. Because of the abundance of his horses, their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen, the wagons and the chariots when he enters your gates. As men enter a city that has been breached with the hooves of his horses, he will trample all your streets. He will slay your people by the sword. And your strong pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches and pillage your merchandise. They will break your, down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. And they will lay your stones, your timber, and your soil in the midst of the water. I will put an end to the sound of your songs. The sound of your harps shall be heard no more. I will make you like the top of a rock, and you shall be a place for spreading nets. And you shall never be rebuilt. For I, the Lord, have spoken, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, will the coastlands not shake at the sound of your fall? When, <clears throat> what did I say? I was, oh, that was it. That's as far as I was going to go. Okay, yeah. I mean, it goes on and on. Uh, but basically there, the idea is like total destruction, right? That the Lord is not going to allow the wickedness of Tyre to continue to stand. And... Um, that he's going to use Babylon to basically turn it into dust is what he says, right? He's going to turn it into a complete flat rock, basically, where people can just spread out their nets to dry. That's the only good use for it after um, after the Lord is done. All right, so um, that's one of the prophecies uh, against the nation. So last time um, we had done one of the prophecies in chapter 18, 16 and, 16 and 18, about... Um, the prophecy against Jerusalem, but um, here just keep in mind that chapters, yeah, 25 through 32, are judgments on the nations. Okay, so then uh, let's just jump forward here to chapter 33, and this is um, one of the visions here that we get. in Ezekiel of the downfall of Jerusalem, right? So we've seen this downfall many times uh, throughout the different prophets and and in at the end of uh, 2 Kings. But we'll just look uh, real quick here at this downfall of Judah. And uh, we're going to look at... 33, yeah, we'll do 21 through 33. And so this is the Ezekiel's account of 
the uh, take the taking into captivity from Babylon of Jerusalem. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came and said to me, "The city has been captured." Okay, so Ezekiel's um, kept uh, account here of the captivity of Jerusalem is kind of interesting because remember um, the the captivity is something that kind of took place over time. There's a couple of major sieges, but Ezekiel was caught up in one of the first sieges, right? When they were starting to fall to Babylon. And remember, where is Ezekiel? Anyone remember where, where Ezekiel is? Yeah, he's in Babylon, right? He's by the, the Kabar Canal, and he, well, he started at the Kabar Canal. And he's he's already been taken captive, right? So Ezekiel is a book written from captivity. And um, what happens here is that a messenger from Jerusalem comes to him and tells him when the city has fallen, right? And there's this kind of parallel um, between this idea of fallen cities where here at this kind of ultimate climax, this punishment of Jerusalem, we get the fall of Jerusalem. And then Jesus prophesies the fall of Jerusalem again. But then kind of in between those, right, there's a... So there's a fall of Jerusalem and then a fall of Jerusalem. But in between those, there's the fall of Babylon, right? So we get a fall of Jerusalem. And then with the Persian Empire, there's a fall of Babylon. And Israel gets to return to Jerusalem. And then there's a second fall of Jerusalem. And what we're waiting for now, in a theological sense, if you read Revelation, is the second fall of Babylon, right? That... In a sense, the New Testament Christian church is um, its part of the kingdom of God that's growing on this earth. But in a sense, we're still in exile until Jesus comes back again, right? We're still waiting. We're, we're in exile of this corrupt and sinful world until the new heavens and the new earth comes. And the way Revelation speaks of the new heavens and the new earth and Jesus coming again, one of the ways it speaks about that is, is that this world, the wicked world, is Babylon, and Babylon will fall, right? And we get that great passage in, uh, I can't remember what chapter in Revelation it is, where ba- the, the angel proclaims that Babylon has fallen, right? And there's a great hymn, by the way, that's not in our hymnal, um, called Babylon has fallen. I wish it was in our hymnal. It's one of my favorite hymns, but... Um, find it later oh here it is yeah 18 18 i was on a different multiple of six i thought it was 12 it's 18 okay so um yeah revelation 18 is worth reading it's all about babylon's fall so that's babylon's second fall though right so you get two falls of jerusalem two falls of babylon is the idea all right let's keep reading 
So the messenger comes to Ezekiel and tells him that Babylon, that Jerusalem has fallen. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man came who had escaped, and he opened my mouth. So when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was open and I was no longer mute. We have a kind of parallel to Zechariah there that leading up to this news of the downfall of Jerusalem, Ezekiel had been made mute, which is interesting. Um, So now he's going to prophesy about this. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one and he inherited the land, but we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with blood. You lift up your eyes toward idols and shed blood. Should you then possess the land, you rely on your sword. You commit abominations and you defile one another's wives. Should you then possess the land? All right, so this is this is great. So the, the people are like, wait, what do you mean? The land's being taken captive? What are you talking about? We're... We're, we're Judah, we're, we're Jerusalem, right? Um, and <laughs> they say, uh, Abraham was only one and he inherited the land and, and yet we are many and, and uh, the land was given to us as a possession, right? It, they did not believe what the prophets told them. This is not the first time that they heard about the destruction of Jerusalem, okay? I mean, let, go back through all the prophets we've covered um, pre-exile, they were told and told and told and told and told and told that this was coming. And they refused to repent. They did not believe the prophets. And now that it happens, they're like, what? Right? They just don't believe um, uh, that, that this would, would ever happen to them. And um, this is an important lesson for us, right? Like, I think when it comes to things like persecution or it comes to things like um, I don't know, all, all sorts of things. People just don't believe in their life that bad things are going to happen until it happens, right? And it's, it's so much better spiritually to be prepared for bad things to happen. Um, this is why, for instance, I mean, maybe like in a, on a personal level, the thing people are most unprepared for is death, right? They don't expect that they're going to die soon um, or that they could die soon um, before they're ready. And this is why the uh, old theologians always had this um, practice of thinking about and preparing for death as a Christian, right? Thinking about the, the only, the, the, one of the main things you do in your devotions and in your spiritual life is that you're preparing to die, Right? Um, and there's some good books on on this concept um, I've written about before, but the thing that we one of the things that we saw during COVID right was how many people were totally unprepared to die right um, they just they would do anything right <laughs> literally almost anything um, to avoid the potential of death and so this is something worth thinking about. Um, but also on a broader level, not just personally, but like in the church too, like um, could the church ever close its doors? Could the church um, in a certain place uh, ever be persecuted, right? 
these kinds of questions, like the answer is always yes, right? The Lord could bring us whatever he wanted to allow to bring us in terms of suffering. And so we should be prepared for any of those things, right? Um, And we should continue to look toward God for our salvation, continue to pray, um, continue to be watchful, right? One of the major themes in Ezekiel is that Ezekiel is called the watchman because he's actually paying attention, right, to what the prophets say and what the Lord says. All right, so, um, and then the, the, but then the Lord's response is great, right? Um, The Lord's response is like, um, did you not hear everything that I told you before? And also look at yourselves, you're sleeping with each other's wives. You rely on your sword. You never pray to me for help. Um, you lift up your eyes toward idols instead of to me. Like, what? why do you think that I wasn't going to do what I said? Um, and that that's another good warning for us, too. Like, we always need to take a serious look at our sin and think, do we actually really deserve to live perfectly comfortable lives, you know, with with no suffering whatsoever, ever? Like, do we actually deserve that because of our sin? So, um, and and what's maybe the best part about this is that they bring up Abraham, right? And why is Abraham so great? What what does the New Testament proclaim over and over again about Abraham? By faith. By faith. He had faith, right? He trusted in the Lord. It wasn't that, like, he was special in and of himself, Right? He was just some guy out of the land of Ur. Right? Um, but the Lord chose him and he believed. Right? And it was counted to him as righteousness. That's what Romans says. So that's what is missing from these people. They're like, they think because we're sons of Abraham and because we're many, the many descendants of Abraham. Um, but what God really cares about with Abraham is not his bloodline. It's that he had faith. Right? All right. I, I believe that, you know, yeah. like now there's a lot of false prophets, mm-hmm. a lot of confusion because people will actually lie to you on purpose. And I think in those days there were false prophets and people were confused too. They were led astray. Not the excuse for not believing. Yeah. The deal, but. Well, and, and the Bible does tell us, like, and Jer- Jeremiah is really the prophet for false prophets, but. Um, we are told that the false prophets will be judged more strictly. It's one thing to falsely teach. It's not a thing to be falsely taught. All right. So, um, all right. Let me just see if there's anything else I want to say about this passage. I want to end a little bit early. Um, actually, what's funny, uh, Steve, is the next. Um, we're not. We're not going to cover it as a key passage, but then the next chapter, chapter 34, is about false prophets. So. You can go on and read that. Um, I think that's all I really need to say about the fall of Jerusalem here. Um, We could keep reading that passage, but like I said, I want to end a little early so I can do a sound check with Pastor Vanderbush today. Um, All right, any questions? All right, sorry for the short class today. Um, Yeah, it's... uh, just one of those days um but we will try and start on time next week all right let's end in a word of prayer dear heavenly father we thank and praise you for this day and uh, we pray that you would 
be with everyone this week as they go throughout their week. Uh, keep everyone safe in the inclement weather. And we pray that you would bless us today as we seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray that the hearts and minds of all may be open to the preaching of your word and that you would have your word have free course uh, here in this place and in this community. We pray this through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.